We're happy you're here this morning. And I'm always excited when we have the opportunity to start a new series. I shared with you last week. First of all, last week wasn't the message on the mountains that seem immovable. Wasn't that timely? Wasn't that good? I pray it stirred you. I pray it encouraged you this morning or last week and we take it into this morning. First off, just want to say I'm excited you're here. And uh, it's always great when I'm thankful to take a week off or whatever where I can just begin to to study and, and just begin to pray and seek God's heart for what he's wanting to say to you this morning. And I believe through this series, you're going to take a new perspective, a healthy perspective, as we look at the Ten Commandments, or as the title of the series is The Ten Gifts. An early church father referred to the Ten Commandments as the Ten Gifts. And I pray as you begin to see each gift and how it pertains to your life today, that it would begin to strengthen you, and you would begin to see that God has given us these gifts, these commandments, to strengthen our relationship with Him, that it's about relationship with God. And we're going to dig into this, and we're going to see of how it's all about relationship. I just want to give you a little bit of context as we begin to unfold the series, and what you always have to do, and what I, my heart is as we begin a new series is to really give the framework of what we're going to be getting into and what we're going to be digging into with the Ten Commandments, with the Ten Gifts. First is this, is is you get into the Ten Commandments and you begin to see, you begin to read and study of what's revealed in Exodus 20, is that you'll see that it was written by the finger of God. And you'll see that uh, how the, the commandments are given To God through Moses, Moses says uh, in the first commandment, you shall not, or God says through Moses, you shall not have any gods before me. That's traditionally what we know as the first commandment. And how you see that word you, he's not saying y'all. We love saying y'all, Florence, right? But he's saying something very personal. He's saying you. So he's addressing you. And by seeing the finger of God, of that these were written, It's a direct discourse. It's intimate communication from God. And we know that Scripture as a whole, Old and New Testament, is a love letter from God to His people. It's the greatest love letter of all time. And so we have to see, through the Ten Commandments, we need to begin to take a step back. And my prayer is, through this series, is that you would begin to see that this is God's communication to Israel of how much he loves them and desires relationship with them. And we see even in uh, the life of Jesus is we're going to see similarities of that Jesus' heart has been to fulfill the law and that his heart is to reach out to us, to draw us into relationship. And John, if you put this up, really the main point I want to get across to us and want to challenge us and encourage us with, us with us in this series is this is that we determine the depth of our relationship with God. We determine the depth of our relationship with God. He lays it out. He has given us this invitation to draw in. We determine how much we're willing to draw near, to draw close, to draw in. And so what we're going to see is that God gives these 10 commandments, these 10 gifts to have relationship with his people. 
I love because the commandments are not arbitrary. They're not just something that took place or something that happened. But everything, again, God does is out of love. And we know that God hates sin, right? He, does, he hates sin. And it's not because he wants to bind us, keep us small-minded. He hates it because of how it hurts you and I. And so he gives us these gifts to say, here's what a life of freedom looks like. Here's what is going to keep you out of bondage. You know, I was thinking, and I, I want you to think, really your first time you were exposed to the Ten Commandments. Really, when you begin to learn them, I can remember myself as a student here at Zion Christian Academy. I remember usually every year somewhere in the hallway or in a classroom, there was a poster that had the Ten Commandments on it. And really, the curriculum and everything, it teaches you to memorize them and you see them on the wall, but you really never get the spirit or the life that's with it. Because see, Jesus, he fulfilled it, but then he goes a step further and he teaches the spirit that's behind it that these commandments don't save you, but Jesus fulfills it. He takes the penalty of sin. He shows he's the one that transforms our life. And then he takes, and what we're going to see, he takes the commandments, all 10, he reduces them into two, but at the same, same time amplifies them. Like it's this crazy paradox that takes place that Jesus does. But I was thinking about my exposure to the Ten Commandments, and sometimes you, you really lose the life or the heart that's trying to be expressed through them. That when you kind of read through them, the first commandment you see, it says that you shall have no other gods before me. That's Exodus 20, verse 3, but Exodus 21 and 2, you'll begin to see, shares the heart of what the commandments are given in. And we're going to look at that this morning. I want to turn your attention to Deuteronomy 30, 19. This is a scripture that's always really stayed with me. It says this, it says, This day I call the heavens and the earth as a witness against you, that I have set before you what? Life and death. I have set before you blessings and curses. Now here's the awesome part about this passage of scripture. Is it says, therefore choose life. And so this is being revealed to us that I'm setting before you blessing and curses. I'm setting before you life and death. Now, when you read that, before you get to the part that says choose life, wouldn't it be uh, pretty obvious that all of us would want to choose life? Like, why would the scripture have to tell us to choose life? Well, since the commandments were revealed 3,500 years ago, there's something that hasn't changed in all of us, and that's our humanity, that we have a will that is bent, that has to be brought forth, as, as scripture says, that your bodies would be, though, as a living sacrifice, that we have a will within us that throughout time, you look at humanity 3,500 years ago, you look at humanity today. Technology changes, the houses we live in change, the cars we drive change, uh, culture changes, but there's something that never changes, and that's the human will, and that's the human nature that has to be brought before God, converted, healed, and changed. And so we see that this is really... Uh, the story that God is always communicating, Old and New Testament, is I've set before you these things, but my heart, again, because I love you, is that you would choose life. You would choose life. And so the commandments are given out of this heart. Of my, His heart is that you would choose life, not death and curse. Look what Matthew seventeen nineteen says. Because Jesus had a lot to say about the commandments. 
there is a lot of talk that the commandments are uh, abolished or they're not guidelines for our life anymore. But Jesus has a lot to say about it, and this is what I want you to see of what our, say, our Lord and Savior has to say. And he says it very clear. Matthew five seventeen says this. It says, Do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Anybody thankful that he's fulfilled? For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will be by no means passed from the law till all is fulfilled. He says, for whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So we see Jesus says loud and clear that he didn't come to destroy, he didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets, but he came to fulfill it for you and I because we know the law cannot save us. The law does not pay the price of the penalty of sin. Jesus does. But again, Jesus gives us, as he reduces the law, what we're going to see into two commandments, and then he amplifies them. That uh, scripture may say, or the law uh, of Moses, the Ten Commandments, these ten gifts will say, uh, you know, don't covet, honor your father and mother. But Jesus, if you read in Matthew 5 and 7, Matthew 5 through 7, chapters 5 through 7, you'll see, you've heard it said, but I say. So Jesus takes it and he says, well, I'm going to take it a step deeper. Where you've heard it said, if you commit the act of adultery, then you're an adulterer. But if he takes it a step further, he says, if you think lustfully about a man or about a woman, then you commit adultery in your heart. So what the law dealt with, the physical side, Jesus takes and he deals with the interior. He deals with the heart of the issue. So we see Jesus has a lot to say about it. Here's where we see the greatest commandment. It says in Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus is talking with a young Jewish lawyer here who's trying to understand, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And this is what he says. He said, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He says, this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Look what it says here. It says, of these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. As we're going to dig in deep to these 10 commandments, these 10 gifts during this series, you'll see that the way the commandments are given is the first four deal with our relationship with God. And the, the six deal with our relationship with others, our, our human, our earthly relationships. And as we're in the spirit of Valentine's, I think the greatest relationship you and I have to, to, to work on is with him and then it's with others. So this, rela- this series is going to hit deep and it's going to show us of what our relationship with God is to look like. Because Jesus who fulfilled it, if you want to know how to live a Christian life, look at obviously the life of Jesus because he walked it a perfect life. And see, we don't do it on our own. You're going to see as we get into Romans and we get into the epistles of where it talks about this struggle with flesh and and the bondage of sin, that it's only through the Spirit's power that we overcome the bondage of sin. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is found in Matthew 19, 
And it's about the rich young ruler. I want to read it to you. Because Jesus reveals commandments here. He, he gives commandments in, in this conversation with the rich young ruler. Look what it says. It says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 17, so he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. But if you want to enter life, what does it say? Keep the commandments. He said to him, well, Jesus, which ones? And Jesus said, again, he lists these 10 gifts, these 10 commandments. He says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 20, the young man said to him, all these things I've kept from my youth, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But hear this right here. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You know, I think it's pretty awesome here. And what we're going to see and what we're really going to get into next week is we're going to refer back to this story. Is the second commandment says that you're not to create any graven image, that uh, it's dealing with the heart of idolatry and what idol worship looks like. And so we see that Jesus reveals five, six commandments here. But two of the commandments he doesn't reveal, he doesn't say you're to have no other gods before me or not to create any graven image. I think through Jesus' response here and what commentary will tell you is he's dealing with something so much deeper that he's addressing the idols in the rich young ruler's life. And that idol is greed. That idol is the level of, of wealth that he's attained that he wasn't willing to lay down. And Scripture teaches us in the New Testament that uh, in Colossians 3, 5, I believe, that greed is a form of idolatry. So Jesus is getting to the heart of this young man, but it was something that touched him that he said, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not willing to go there. And that's where he said that he walked away sorrowful. What we're going to look at next week, Jesus then took that lesson and then taught his disciples about uh, riches and about possessions and the, the place that they can take in our lives that isn't honoring God. But I love how he reveals these commandments to the rich young ruler. Look what Paul has to say. If you read Romans, you really see Paul is in this, uh, this struggle of trying to understand the law, trying to understand the new covenant. Where do they work together? And look what Paul has to say. He says, therefore, the law is holy. In Romans 7, 12, he talks about how the law is holy and the commandments are holy and just and good. And he says in verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual. And so he's asking this question, how can the natural fleshly man learn and obey this holy spiritual law? In Romans 7, 25, Paul is addressing that this is made possible through Jesus Christ and being led by the Holy Spirit. So that's the key there. Look what Romans 7.25 says. This is the conclusion that Paul came to when you read Romans 7. He said, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. 
See, so you now see it is in my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. See, Paul isn't necessarily railing against the law is the problem, the law is the problem. He's beginning to understand from what Jesus is revealing that it's this bondage, it's this slavery to sin, it's this flesh that is the problem, and there has to be some solution to it. He goes on to say, in Hebrews chapter 8, 8 through 10, he's dealing with this issue that the problem is not the law, again, but our weak flesh. But through the Holy Spirit, God helps us overcome any obstacle by writing the law where? In our hearts and in our minds as we diligently study and as we seek to obey him. This is the heart of the new covenant. Hebrews eight ten. so you see it. It says, for this is the new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is a promise given to you. You know, many, and there's been times in my life where you read these because we're missing the fullness of it as we look at the commandments and see them as bondage. We see them as We've maybe heard it said that Jesus came to get that bondage off of us. And we throw out the baby with the bathwater. We see it as a heavy burden. But the Bible clearly shows that the perfect eternal spiritual law of God is a law of liberty. It's a law of freedom. It's a law of liberty. Look what scripture has to say about it. And again, this is just so clear and so good. 1 John 5, 3. I'm going to go through these just quickly. John said his commandments are not burdensome. See, when you fall in love with Jesus, it should be this head over heels, and I'm in love with him, and I want to know what I can do to please him, to draw closer to him. I want to have a deeper relationship with him. So what he gives us is not intended to be burdensome, but it's to create freedom from the bondage of sin. The psalmist wrote in Psalms 112, verse 1, he says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord who delights greatly in his commandments. There's blessing when you delight greatly in his commandments. Paul also wrote, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Now, when you dig into this and you see the commandments that Paul's even talking about is the Jewish Torah, the Jewish commandments, if you look into this, that there were 613 commandments that uh, Jewish law had written outside of the Ten Commandments. So after the Ten Commandments were given, the Orthodox Jew wanted to be so precise and clear that they wouldn't break God's commandments that over time, 613 commandments were given that they had to follow. Now, could you imagine that? You feel like you can never move right here. This is where you had to stay to have anything, to not fall into sin. And so when Jesus is saying that I've taken all of these commandments and now you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's taking all of these commandments, because if you're talking to a Jew, they're thinking of the 613 commandments that are in place, that they're to live, and that are to guide them. And so Jesus is addressing all of this and bringing life and light to it. Look what John 8, 31 through 36 says. This is Jesus talking here, and this is how the truth makes us free. And then Jesus said to those Jews who believe him, if you abide in my word, 
you are my disciples indeed. Anybody want to abide in the word of God this morning? Verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So you see, the heart of Jesus is to bring freedom, is to bring liberty into your life from the bondage of sin. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have uh, never been in bondage to anyone. So they, we haven't been in bondage. We've kept the law. How can you say, Jesus, that we will be made free? And Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever. But hear this, but a son or a daughter abides in the house forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. You go on, you begin to read that. It talks about the sonship that's offered to us by adoption. And so we see that the heart of Jesus, again, is to make us free from the bondage and the slavery of sin. And so now stepping in to the Ten Commandments, I think we miss this because, again, as a child, you just see, thou shalt not have any gods before me. I don't know about you, but many times you can think that these commandments are a list of do's and don'ts. This is what you're not supposed to do. If you do this, then you sin. And you get this kind of God's anger. It was given out of God's anger. But that's not how it was given. It was given. And look what Exodus 20 verse 1 says. And I highlight this because as you meditate, as you study these gifts, this is the key to understanding the context and the intention of it. It says, And God spoke these words saying, I am the Lord your God. Hear this right here who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. I'm going to read that again. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For you shall have no other gods before me. That's so good. Let's all read this together. Can we do that? And God spoke these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. And so what we see here is this rescue. We see that these commandments were given after they've been rescued out of bondage, after they've been rescued out of slavery. Now see, this is similar and the scriptures I read with you in, out of Romans speaks to the rescue we've been given by Christ because you and I have been in bondage. You and I have been slaves to sin. And just as Israel experienced the merciful, uh, relentless hand of God rescuing them out, while they were still yet sinners, while they were still in bondage, God acted. Nothing they did stirred God up to move for them. God chose to act out of his mercy and out of his love. And the same he did for us. Jesus has done for us. He has rescued us out of the bondage of sin, where we don't have to be slaves to sin. He wanted to have relationship with them. Again, Romans 6, 6 says this, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love toward you and I. Make this personal. The end that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
There's a church father that talks about the deepest human lie that the enemy wants you and I to believe is that God is not good, that he's not good. He's there to take from you. He's there to steal from you. He's there to cause pain in your life. When you don't obey him, then he's there to smite you down. The enemy's working on overdrive to get you to believe that God is not good. He goes on to say that if God, if the enemy can get you to believe, if the enemy can get Adam and Eve to believe that God isn't good in the garden where they were walking with God in perfect harmony, that if the enemy was that good to get Adam and Eve to believe that, think how good he is after the fall. Think how good he is to get that into our spirit and into our minds, into our perception of God. And so when you're reading scripture and you're living life and making decisions and, and, and spending time with God, I challenge you to address that. Is there something within me? Is there a root that's been planted in me? Is there an experience in my life where an event, how it's turned out, or maybe something in my family where I don't really believe, I'll never say it, but the, in me, I don't really believe that God is good. And so we see again that God's heart is to have this relationship with us, to have this closeness with us. We see in Exodus 20, so the commandments are given between verse 3 to verse 17. And we see in Exodus 20, verse 18, that there's this conversation now between God's people and Moses as after the commands were given. I want you to see what's revealed here. It says this, it says, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear. But let God speak with us, but let God not speak with us lest we die. In verse 20, and Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you or that his honor may be before you. Hear this, so that you may not sin. Again, this is him trying to get freedom and liberty to God's people so they don't be a slave to sin. Yeah. I want you to really see this in verse 21. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. We see here that, God's, that Moses had the heart and wanted to draw near, but the people were afraid to draw near lest they would die. Now here's the truth we know about when we're in the presence of God or when we have a knowing and we begin to be transformed by the word of God and by the spirit of God is that when you draw near to God, something does die. And what that is that dies is our flesh. And what you see here is God's people, Israel, are afraid to let go of some things. And you see in this giving of the Ten Commandments that when Moses was on the mountain, they constructed a, a golden calf, that they wanted something physical to worship. And so we see here that let us not be like God's people where we want to have a relationship with God through somebody else or just through the church or through the pastor, but go after God for yourself. Be like Moses and draw near. And so we see that, again, the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near. And when you get in the presence of God, the way you know that God's dealing with you is usually something of your flesh begins to die so that the Holy Spirit can begin to fill you with himself. 
Psalms 103 verse 7 speaks to this encounter as well. It says, He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. I don't know about you, but I just don't want to know the acts of God. I want to know his heart. I want to know his ways. I want to know his character. Let us be like Moses and draw near. So I pray you're seeing that these just aren't a list of do's and don'ts. Are we seeing that this morning? Are we seeing it from a different perspective? That this isn't something given to keep us in bondage, but it's something to, through Christ, get us out of slavery to sin. I want to take you to Romans chapter 1. And then really this is going to segue into us next week. If you turn to verse 18, and Sean, if you would put this up, I added this in last minute so I didn't get it in my notes. But I want you to see here is idolatry begins to show up on the scene. And I want to challenge you this week that you would go before God and examine yourself for what are, what are idols in my life? Are there, God, are there other gods that I have put before the one true living God? And we see here a people that have been given over to their idols. And see, what we have to understand, we have to understand that there is darkness, that we have a spiritual enemy. Because if we don't, then we won't realize how much we are in need of a Savior, how much we're in need of the gospel to literally transform our entire lives. Look what it says. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, Oh, again, God hates sin because it hurts you. And unrighteousness of men who suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. Now, you could preach an entire series off who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. We live even in a culture that, see, because these, the law written on our hearts, it's written on every human heart, whether they want it to be or not. You have someone who doesn't consider Christ their Lord and Savior, but they're not out murdering somebody. There's this in tension, there's this knowing that murder is wrong, whether they know it came from God or not. So what begins to happen is in a culture that doesn't honor God, in a culture that doesn't want to live in righteousness, and what we're going to see begin to take place in this passage of scripture, is in order to get that conviction out of them or just numb themselves that what they're doing is wrong, you begin to suppress that by willfully walking in unrighteousness. That's what that means is you're suppressing truth in unrighteousness. And that's what the world does. They suppress truth in unrighteousness. And here's why. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened, darkened. professing to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So we begin to see that they begin to take the worship that is due to God, and they begin worshiping the creation. Yes. They begin wor worshiping the stuff, the things, the blessing, not the one who gives the yes. blessing. And so verse 25 says, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the, cre creature, the creator, 
the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. And what we're about to see here is what idols are revealed as. Go to the next scripture. For even their woman exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. And so he's singling out homosexuality here. It says, likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over, next scripture, to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. And here's where we see where idolatry can begin to take root at and what idolatry can begin to be seen in a heart that is suppressing truth with unrighteousness. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness. And I pray as you're seeing this, you're realizing why we need a savior because this is what bondage to sin looks like. This is what a bent will will move toward if not fully uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit. For it's wickedness, covetedness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers or they're gossipers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Other translations say that they ran out of ways to sin, so they're going to invent new ways to sin. They're disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy. You see this big list? This is where idolatry will take you in whatever form it is or whatever level it is. They're unloving, they're unforgiving, they're unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So they want to pull other people in to what they're doing. They want to pull other people in to that idolatry. And so I pray this morning when God says you shall have no other gods before me. He's not saying you need to get the golden statue of Buddha out of your house. Yes, but that's kind of where we leave it. That's what we see as an idol. He's saying you're not to have any of these gods in your life. You're not to create any image of this. We'll see next week that it says do not even bow to it. We sang this morning that the blood of Christ sets the addict free. You know, when you get addicted to something, you kind of forfeit your right to where it's a choice to you bowing to it anymore. Where you're, it beckons that you bow and it demands that you bow to it because you're addicted to it. And so it's saying that when you begin to take on the heart of the gospel and Jesus begins to broaden it and he begins to amplify it and gets to the heart of the matter, he deals with what's inside of us so that we don't become slaves to sin, that we're not in bondage to sin. I pray as we get deep into the word of God and as we begin to ask the Holy Spirit, what is it that we are in bondage to? What is it that we don't even realize are idols in our life that he would begin to set us free? Aren't you excited for what God's going to reveal in this series, these 10 gifts that he's given us? I wanna leave you with this this morning. Titus 3, verse 5. And this is the heart of our renewal nights. This is the heart of where we feel God has us as a church, has us in this series, that there would be a spirit of renewal that would begin to take place. Look what it says. 
It says, it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. We can't save ourselves. We can't set our, ourselves free from sin. But it's according to his mercy, he saved us. This is the gospel in one scripture. It's through the washing of the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. That that's the way to defeat the idols in your life. That's the way you fight your battles. It's through the washing of the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. This is the answer for whatever idol or whatever bondage is in your life or in your family's life. I pray that you see the weight and the seriousness of this because it goes on to say in the second commandment that it's not that God puts a curse on generation to generation, but the consequences of our decisions can affect generations that come after us. And so I pray that through this series, through understanding these gifts, that you be the one to stop something in your gener generational line, that when you see it revealed, it stops with you. And it's not going to your children or to your children's children. This is the power of what's been given to us, revealed by Jesus, that it's through the washing of the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit that sets us free. Commentary says about this, that this signifies a complete departure from the life of sin and death and a transfer into the realm of real life and purity. I'm excited for what God's gonna begin to do in our lives and what he's gonna reveal. As I said, we've just scratched the surface on the first commandment, but I pray you get a context and I pray you begin to see as you meditate on these that Jesus is gonna put these commandments and make them come alive because they're already written on your heart. That it's so much more than just memorizing them, it's living them. It's allowing it to transform you. It's leading you to Christ because we're saved by grace through faith for good works. That we understand there's a judgment seat at the end of our lives. Whenever our life ends, we're gonna have to give an account for the works that we've done in this life. And so God gives us these commandments. Jesus gives the spirit of these commandments to guide us into truth because what does the truth do? It sets you free from the bondage of sin. And so this is gonna be a church that is not bound in sin, that is not enslaved to sin, but we're gonna be everything who God has created us and called us to be. And that's why I pray when you listen to that song, it's the blood that sets the addict free. It's the blood that right now that's where the power is found because Jesus fulfilled it. He took what couldn't save us, paid the penalty of our sin. We deserve to be on that cross. He took our place. He paid the price but didn't leave us there. He gave us the Holy Spirit to transform everything about us. The gospel beckons us to always go deeper. And so I pray through this is that we would go deeper. We would see the truth. We would be enlightened and we would see what God has to say to us. If you would stand to your feet this morning, I wanna pray for you, and then I wanna declare that the blood can set us free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your commandments are not burdensome, that they're not do's and don'ts for our life, but God, they're given to set us free from bondage, to reveal the idols in our life so that we can allow the Holy Spirit to heal to deal and to heal with what those are. God, I pray just as Jesus confronted the rich young ruler, that it was his greed, it was 
the, uh, the idolatry of wealth and riches that had his heart. God, I pray that we would allow Jesus, his truth to set us free, that we wouldn't walk away and say, man, I, I can't do that. I, I, I'm not willing to go that far. But God, that we would follow you. We would go and do and live and participate with what you've revealed. Right now, as we declare this over our lives, I pray you give us a fresh understanding, a fresh perspective, a fresh vision of your commandments and what you've come to do. Jesus, we thank you that you love us, that you've rescued us. And God, this is your story. This is your invitation to us to set us free from our mind, from the war that battles there, and from our bent will that's stubborn, rebellious, and hostile toward you. God, we submit that to you this morning. In Jesus' name, whisper to him right now. Say, I submit my intellect, my mind. I submit my will to you. I want to be set free by the renewing, by the regeneration, by the washing of the Holy Spirit. As we sing this, let it become truth to you. In Jesus' name.